Good morning, everyone. I hope you're having a great day today. It is Wednesday, June 16th, and it is 10.30 a.m., which means it's time for Bible study. And today we are finishing up the thrilling conclusion to 1 Timothy, right? The 1 Timothy chapter 6, the end of the book. So uh, excited to finish that with you. Hope you're doing well. And uh, thank you for making this Bible study a part of your day. Uh, just a quick note, we will know, we will not have Bible study next week. I'll be out of town, uh, but I'll be back for the week after. So uh, we're going to finish 1 Timothy today, and we will start a new book uh, two weeks from today. So I uh, hope you're all doing well. Enjoying the beginning of your summer. And uh, let's jump right in with verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Let all who are under the yoke of slavery regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be blasphemed. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful to them on the ground that they are members of the church. Rather, they must serve them all the more since those who benefit by their service are believers and beloved. So, all right, a couple verses here that uh, 2,000 years later, we kind of think, oh, that shouldn't be in there, right? Let all who are under the yoke of slavery regard their masters as worthy of all honor, we think, uh, let's not uh, let's not talk about that, right? Let's not say that. Uh, well, the Bible should come out against slavery, right? But it doesn't. The Bible, Paul does not come out against slavery. And so we say, well, why doesn't Paul come out against slavery? Okay, I uh, have to understand the world was different 2,000 years ago. And the world, the ancient world was built by slaves, and, you know, there was like 60 million slaves in the world 2,000 years ago. And so there, there, there was no way that they could imagine, that Paul could imagine a life or a world without slavery. It was just part of the world that they lived in. And so Paul in no way could, could fathom what it would look like to have a world without slavery. And so to say you should not have slaves is like saying to people, uh, you know, you, today, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible comparison but, but like saying to people today, you should not have cars, right? I mean, it's just such a part of life that you can't imagine life without it. And so, uh, again, it's a terrible comparison because you were talking about human beings. Uh, but it's such a, an ingrained part of society 2,000 years ago that Paul can't imagine life without it. And so he's writing to, he's writing to a, a pastor, Timothy, right, who has uh, a church in a community where there are slaves. And so this is an actual relevant thing to discuss. And the thing that Paul says is very, um, very important for that community. Uh, and so a couple things. If Paul would have encouraged uh, the, the Christian slaves to fight for freedom— then you know all those slaves would have been killed, and the Christian Church would have been uh, looked at as a revolutionary movement and treasonous, and and Christianity would have had a very negative, uh, very negative uh, reputation, and people would have been fleeing from the church, and it it would have been a major issue for the church. and And I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, um, but I find what I find interesting is. Um, to those who have believing masters, you must not be disrespectful to them on the ground that they are a member of the church. You must not use your common membership in the church to your favor to to expect them to treat you differently or to be disrespectful to them because you see them in church on Sunday. And so according to Paul, spiritual equality does not mean earthly equality. And so the, the uh, rank 
and hierarchy of the world of the earthly world does not uh, um, is not superseded by the equality of the of the church, which is an interesting uh, interesting concept in and of itself. But I think one thing is important that we have to say, and that is that uh, this slavery was not a slavery based on race, right? Uh, so the slavery based on race that America was plagued with for, for, you know, hundreds of years, uh, is, is not what we're talking about here. It's not a white, uh, white person enslaving black person or African person. Uh, it's, it's an economic slavery. And so that's, uh, it's seen as differently and, um, still, you know, slavery is still world. It's all over the world. And, and so, um, you know, we would like to see slavery gone. Um, and, but there are certain, uh, there are certain, uh, ways in the world, certain cultures in the world where slavery is, is part of it. And uh, we would love to see it uh, removed from the earth altogether. Uh, but in those places where there is slavery, um, you know, it's, uh, I, it's part of the culture and they can't imagine life without it. And so I don't know how you get rid of it. Uh, but um, so there we go. That's what Paul has to say about slavery and uh, wish, you know, Wish he said something different, wish he said, you know, slavery should not be, he could have thrown in one line that, you know, in a perfect world, there would be no slavery. Um, and, and that may have helped millions of people over the course of thousands of years. But uh, so that's what Paul has to say about slavery here in First Timothy chapter six. Okay, verses three and five. Whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teacher that is in accordance with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words. From these come envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among those who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, so what does all that mean? What is, what is Paul trying to get at here? Uh, so Paul is talking about false teachers and, uh, and basically avoiding false teachers. If you can recognize a false teacher, get away from a false teacher. So how do we know if someone is a false teacher? Well, first they're conceited, right? And so uh, the, the teacher's own glory or reputation or place and privilege is paramount. It's number one. It is the priority. Uh, you know, they all, they want to glorify themselves. The purpose of teaching is to glorify the teacher. That is one characteristic of a false teacher. Uh, and they understand nothing. Uh, and they have a morbid craving for curiosity and disputes about words. Uh, they're more concerned with arguments. They're more concerned with arguing about uh, just arguing for the sake of arguing, for controversy. I mean, they're, they're more concerned with speculation than truth, right? They're more concerned with arguing than life. And so, you know, they just want to argue for the sake of arguing because arguing is fun, right? Uh, controversy is good. Controversy, you know, gives us something to do and something to say. A teacher is not supposed to be someone who, uh, who has a craving for controversy, right? A teacher is there to, to teach truth. And so if you see somebody who is uh, lighting the fires of uh, the controversy and conflict, uh, you know, that's something that Paul would say would be a false teacher. The false teacher so then disturbs the peace, right? Uh, they want to... Um, they're very competitive. They're suspicious of anyone who disagrees with them. When an argument cannot be won, 
the the this teacher insults their opponent, right? And so if someone says something that you have nothing to say back to, you just insult them. And we see that happen all over all the time, all over the place, right? People get in arguments, and instead of saying, "Oh, wow, I guess I hadn't considered that," uh, they just you know they they just insult the person who made it, and um, and so that's that's the false teacher here. Uh, the teacher basically is in it for profit. It, that godliness is a mean of gain and you know that they have they want to they want to profit off their teaching and so they teach what people want to hear so that people will pay them uh and so uh you know this is i mean again it's stuff we see all the time and uh so paul's characteristics of a false teacher uh and so uh now paul shifts into here uh, the next few verses talking about wealth and money and the the way it plays a role in our lives. So we continue with verse 6. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. Uh, So godliness combined with contentment, being content with what we have, being getting joy from what we have, not not longing for the things that we don't have. Uh, Epicurus said, to whom little is not enough, nothing is enough, right? To whom the the basic needs, the basic things, the little thing, you know, if that's not enough for you, nothing is ever going to be enough. Um, and Jesus talked about this. Jesus said that things have, uh, do not have the power to bring happiness or joy. We will never, if, if our expectation is that we will finally be live a life of joy that we will experience joy because we have something it's never going to happen uh and so uh our joy comes from love our joy comes from relationships our joy does not come from things from stuff uh and so so we should concentrate on the things that are permanent on the things that are lasting uh not the things that will pass away not the things that will be obsolete in 18 months because new technology will come out not the things that you know get us from point a to point b a little faster you know the the things that we can take with us right um it says for we brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it we can't take anything out of this world with us uh but we can take love and we can take faith and we can take hope and we can take joy. Those are eternal things. Those are the, those are characteristics of God's kingdom. And so those are the things worth, worth, worth finding and worth living for and worth uh, building a life on. Uh, and so contentment comes when we find joy in the love of others and God. It's when we find true relationship with God and true relationship with others. And when we find a community where we feel fed and nourished and when we feel part of the community and where we feel like we are in the place that God wants us to be doing the thing that God wants us to do, that is where we find contentment. It has nothing to do with stuff, right? It has, you know, we, we need the, we need, we need enough to live our daily lives and to, you know, feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, the, the extra things, the extra, uh, you know, it it's not going to help us feel better. It's not going to help bring us joy. Uh, verse 10, continuing kind of on the same thought. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So um, this is one of those misquoted verses in scripture. It says money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, right? Uh, so the love of money, not money itself, the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. Not, I don't know if you say all evil, but all kinds of evil, right? And, and the, so what, what is the love of money, right? The, the, the love of money is basically a, a thirst that is insatiable, right? It's I, I have some and I want more and I can never have enough, right? That's, that's the love of money, the desire for money. Uh, the Romans said wealth is like seawater. The more you drink, the more you need to drink, right? Because seawater, salt water, it's, you know, it, it's not going to quench your thirst. And so, you know, when, when, when we look at money as something that, that we desire, that we want, that we love, uh, you know, we'll never have enough. We'll never have enough because we're going to keep chasing an illusion, you're going to, if money is your thing, if you're going to chase money, you're going to chase an illusion. And the illusion is that money brings security, comfort, and peace. That money, if you have enough money, you'll have security, comfort, and peace. But we know that's an illusion. We know that money cannot buy health. Money cannot buy love. It cannot preserve us from sorrow and death. Uh, you know, it, money is an illusion. It, it, and actually, money leads to worry to concern, to the, the more we have, the more we have to lose. The more we cling to this life, the more we cling to things instead of people, right? Because we're going to do anything we can to protect that which we have. Uh, and so, you know, the money leads us to worry. And so the, then the desire for money makes us selfish. Uh, the, desire, the desire itself becomes the motivation for life, right? I get up in the morning to go make money. That, that is my desire. That is my motivation. Instead of letting money be something that you can use, which it's a, that's what it's intended for, right? Something you can use to live. Some Money is there to help you live. It is not the reason for living. Uh, and so our motivation for living is joy and peace and love and all that. And money helps us with that. It, it, but when money itself becomes the motivation for living, then we've lost the point of living. Uh, so uh, there you go. First 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we just continue then verses 11 and 12. But as for you, man of God, shun all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So fight the good fight of faith, pursue righteousness, Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue endurance, pursue gentleness. Uh, you know, when I think of these different things, I, you know, I think of people who, who I see as gentle and godly and faithful and loving and, and who have endured a, a great deal. And, and I, you know, they're, not the, they're not the people who have achieved great things. They're not the people who have earned great amounts of money, but they are the things, I mean, that is what we are called to look to, to pursue, Right in life, not money, not, not to be motivated by money or, or by uh, uh, fame and l like the false teachers or popularity, right? No, pursue righteousness and godliness and faithfulness and love and endurance and gentleness and, and fight the good fight to, uh, of, of this good confession that we make. You know, fight the good fight of faith. The, to live a life of faith in this world, uh, one must fight. I mean, it is a challenge, it is a challenge. It is, uh, it is so easy to fall into the ways of this world, to, to fall into the, the traps and illusions and, you know, to fall into the works of evil in this world and to pursue things that, 
aren't going to bring us happiness and to live, you know, I've often said in the past that it's so easy to turn life into a treadmill where we work, 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 but we don't get anywhere, right? You spend 30 minutes on a treadmill and you've worked really hard, but you haven't gone anywhere. When you get off, you're still in the same spot. And so often in life, that's kind of what we do when we pursue money, when we pursue fame, when we pursue popularity, when we pursue all these empty things, we will have worked really hard, but have have we gotten anywhere? Have we gotten anywhere for ourselves? Has you know, are, are we more at peace? Have we do we have more joy? Do we have more more love and faith? You know, and more godliness and righteousness in life. If we if the if the things that we're doing and focused on are not helping us in those ways, are we really going anywhere or doing anything? And so you know, as for you, as for each and every one of you listening, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. And you will find that your life is more full of joy and that you will find that you have more peace and that you will find that you feel like you are growing and becoming a part of, uh, you know, more and more like the person that God created you to be. And I think that's that's the important piece here. Okay, and we're getting to the end here of uh, chapter six and the end of uh, the book. So I got two more sections, verses 17 through 19. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. I love that. The life that really is life. So there were rich people in the early church, and they weren't forced to give away all their money. They weren't forced to go sell everything they have and give it to the church or to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. But they were told how to handle their wealth. They were that wealth is a responsibility. And they were told, you know, Paul is telling them how to handle it. Uh, They were not not to allow their riches to make them proud, to make them haughty, to make them feel like they're better than others because they're rich. Right. Um, Having more money does not make people better than others. It just doesn't. It just means you have more than others. It doesn't mean you're a better person than others. You should not feel superior to others. And take what you have and use it for good, right? Use your money to do good. Share it with those who need help. Uh, help organizations. Help people. Do good with your money. Uh, there's a, an anonymous quote that I found said, What I kept, I lost. What I gave, I have. Uh, this important and powerful reminder that that which we have is a gift from God and, and it is a responsibility that God has put in our hands and that we should be generous with that. We should help others. We should do what we can uh, to provide for those who are in need and to make sure that everyone has enough. Uh, and so that's an uh, important reminder for those who have money. And then, um, and just a quick note here. I mean, when Paul is talking about the rich, for those who are rich, present age are, are rich, um, it's so easy to get caught up in this American understanding of wealth, where if you're not in the top 1% or the top 10%, you can't be considered wealthy. But if you look at where you are in relative, uh, uh, in terms of the rest of the world, uh, I think most Americans would find that they are, when you look at the rest of the world, much better off than the rest of the world. And so, you know, I would say that this is kind of some, uh, not referring to the rich people at your church, but it's referring to you. It's referring to the people who who have enough, who have you know, who make enough to to pay all their bills every month and then have some left over, right? Uh, and so I, I think this is something that we can all hear as Paul's advice to each and every one of us. Um, 
Okay, and then the last two verses of the uh, of the First Timothy uh, chapter six and First Timothy. Uh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid the profane chatter and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, uh, some have missed the mark as regards the faith. Grace be with you. And that's the end. Uh, so it's important, I think, that we say Paul is not opposing knowledge, but false knowledge. Uh, who, what is called falsely called knowledge, clever arguments, right? That that are uh, people create and come up with and want to have discussions and debates over, uh, and and basically they overthink it uh, because by overthinking it and by having conversations about it, what we're doing is we're putting off actually doing it. We're putting off actually being the body of Christ in the world. Instead, we're talking about being the body of Christ in the world. And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean for you? And so let's overthink it uh, and let's argue about it and let's debate about it uh, instead of actually going out and doing it. So so Paul's advice, don't overthink it and don't, you know, don't get caught up in the profane chatter and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. I mean, it's just, there's, there's just really no point to it. Just let others do that, and you go out and uh, guard what has been entrusted to you. Be a pastor. Lead your congregation. Do all that you can to be the body of Christ in the world. Uh, and so there you go, First Timothy uh, chapter 6, and that is the end of First Timothy. Again, a reminder, we will not have Bible study next week. I'll be out of town, but two weeks, uh, two weeks from today, we'll be, we'll be back and uh, starting a new book of the Bible. Thank you for joining me for uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If, uh, if you missed out on anything, uh, we, I have uh, posted these all on uh, podcasts so that you can find them both on the Grace Abides podcast and the No Shortage of Questions podcast. And certainly hope that Andy is going to join me uh, to, uh, to, re- to restart uh, our, our podcasting together. Uh, I know we both got busy and uh, now trying to get our schedules lined up is pretty difficult, but uh, hopefully Andy will be back soon for that. So uh, we will close with a word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we are grateful for your many blessings. Uh, we pray that uh, your spirit would guide us and help us through life, that you would help us to be content with what we'd have, that you would help us to find joy in what we have, that you would help us to uh, spend more time on relationships to spend more time uh, understanding what it means to pursue godliness and righteousness and gentleness and love and faith uh, instead of pursuing the things of this world that give no joy. Uh, Help those who are not feeling well, uh, give grace and peace to all those who need it this day and be with those who are going in for surgery. Uh, We have a special prayer for Elisa, uh, a a cousin of one of our uh, friends, and um, we just pray that you would be with her today and that her surgery would go well and that her recovery would be uh, without uh, complications. Uh, We thank you for all that you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great day, and we will see you in two weeks. Take care of yourselves.